Welcome back to the Mulligan Brothers podcast, the most motivational podcast in the world. This is episode 12 with Ethan Suplee, known for his roles in Hollywood like Remember the Titans and TV shows like My Name is Earl. Ethan Suplee's story is an absolutely incredible one, battling weight loss and obesity, drug addiction, alcoholism. Ethan turned his life around. There was a moment when a doctor told him that that was it, he will die. And the decision that he made to lose weight was not so that he would survive, but it was so that his casket could be carried. It was so that it wouldn't be so difficult for his family to grieve him when he died. And it's such a sad story, but also a story of hope and inspiration as well. Today's episode, as always, is sponsored by MulliganBrothers.com, where you can now get the Not A Journal ready for 2023, and also the Inspire Change t-shirts and hoodies, where all the profits from the sales of the products go back into creating this content. I want to thank Ethan for coming on this episode, and I hope you get as much as I did from it. Let's dive into it. So we usually start with, just for those who don't know, just introduce yourself and what you do. My name is Ethan Suplee. I'm an actor and a podcaster, I guess. Yeah, just uh, let's talk talk a little bit about that. So, yeah, you do the podcast at the moment. And yeah. um, what what is it based around? And like, what's your goal with the podcast? So, the podcast is called American Glutton. Um, and really, I guess my hope with it is that you know, because I, I have certain things that have worked for me and not worked for me, but I'm not doing a podcast about those things necessarily. I'm ha- I ha- happily talk about those things, but really I'm, I want to talk to everybody who has an opinion on health and weight loss and any kind of physical goals. So I talk to MMA fighters and bodybuilders and long distance runners and dietitians and people who are zealots about only eating meat and vegans. And uh, my hope is that anyone who's ever struggled with um, any physical goal and had a failure or a setback could get some inspiration or idea or motivation or just like, hey, that's a whole new way of thinking about it i'm gonna try that you know what i mean and so it you know i don't feel very strongly that my way was the best or the only way i think that what works for the individual works for the individual so i want to talk to lots of people and i'm very open about what didn't work for me and why it didn't work for me um but also you know with uh, a lot of the specifically weight loss and within like the diet culture there's a heavy emphasis on losing weight there's not nearly as much emphasis on keeping weight off and so i find that losing weight is not super difficult but keeping weight off changing your life um is really the whole trick for me so that's really what we talk about on American Blood. I think, I think as, a, as a, t- a subject, we'll go into those things that you've spoken about. But sure. for sure, this, the same thing for me was I, I, could, I can lose weight fast. Yeah. I can't do it in a healthy manner, right. usually. And because of that, it usually got, c- comes back on yeah. at faster than it, you know. And I, and I think that's a, a very common thing, especially like, and I, I think it's so odd. It, it's, it's kind of odd, but also our normal. And so our normal when you put it into any kind of historical context, to me, it seems very odd that 
for the first time, and you know, I say the first time, but it's really the last 50 years, but for the first time ever in human history, we have a massive surplus of food. And I know that people starve to death still today. That's largely due to, or maybe even entirely due to political reasons where food is being withheld to certain groups. So if that wasn't the case, really nobody would starve to death today. But in the West, um, we are so wealthy and, and have such an abundance of cheap calories that you, you see that the entire population is getting obese. Um, and like, you know, if it was 200 years ago, we would all just be kings and we'd be very happy with that, right? While the rest of the world starved, we would be kings and and we're not really. We're, you have this obesity occurring um, and, and you have simultaneous obesity and malnourishment, which is really wild to wrap your head around. So he's getting so many calories that he's fat, but he's not getting the kind of micronutrients he needs. So he's actually sickly because of it, you know. So there's a lot of weird things in there to take into consideration. If, if you was to paint a picture um, for somebody like for like a British viewer of what the US looks like in terms of food, obesity, uh, if you were to just describe that, like what, what would you, how would you say it? I think the majority of food that's consumed is highly processed, um, calorie dense and uh, nutritionally void or devoid of nutritional value. So we have like, uh, we're eating a lot of uh, food that is, is uh, they're figuring out ways to cram as much sugar and fat basically and as little protein into uh, the average American diet as possible because that's really the cheapest way to feed people. Um, and so, you know, we are getting larger and larger and uh and it's getting to be the younger and younger people too so we have um type 2 which is uh you know that they differentiate diabetes there's juvenile diabetes or type 1 diabetes which is uh an autoimmune disease and then there's basically a type of diabetes where you have fed your body um food that really isn't built for your body over a really long period of time and you wear down your body's ability to um, basically take the carbohydrates and get them into the cells for use as energy uh, and that forever was only seen in adults or, or older people and now we have a massive amount of young kids with that because the food they're eating is um, harming them before uh or early days of when you you started finding food what did what did it look like as a consumer for yourself like in in, in america like say you went into the shops or you went out to eat like what, what would that typically look like well i i mean i was put on a restrictive diet as a very very young kid so at like five years old i was put on a restrictive diet and uh i grew up in los angeles and so we were the you know the the vanguard of every fad diet that has ever existed, um, basically, you know, sparked or kicked off in Los Angeles. Um, and for the most part, 
we ate from like the health food stores. And when I was a little kid, the health food stores were like Sikhs, you know, with turbans or who were vegetarians, which there weren't that many vegetarians back then, or uh, people who looked like they were dying from cancer, right? Were the people that shopped at health food stores. And, and then my mom would go in there going like, well, we got to fix Ethan because there's something wrong with him. So if we just feed him this healthy food, but you know, I didn't want to be on a diet when I was five. And so my workaround for this was just like, I would just sneak food and cheat on my diet. Um, and then if my mother and father perceived that I had a successful week of dieting, my treat would be going to the drive through like a McDonald's or something like that and having this really unhealthy meal. So I'm sneaking and overeating all week and then being rewarded with really crappy processed food. So, you know, my uh, whole relationship with food from the time I was very young was skewed in that way. Like food was a reward and food was also something to be compulsively overeaten in private because it was being withheld from me in public. It's so funny how the, as a, as a young child, how it shapes you as an adult, your eating habits. I think in our family, one of the biggest things was you finish your plate, yeah. which is to me makes sense. Like obviously you don't waste food, but as like when you go to a restaurant and the portions are huge, like I'm not, I, I now will not leave a single drop on that plate because I've been sort of brainwashed into this is the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to eat every single thing. Yeah, but I also think that the, the mistake there is that um, when we were young kids, like hopefully our parents were serving us portions that were appropriate for us that were mostly meals that were cooked at home. So that I automatically associate with being healthier. It doesn't necessarily mean it is, but but so I, I get that. Like I have four kids and like I remember when they were young, if I was serving them, you know, some kind of protein and some vegetables and a starch, I'm not just giving them a giant dish of whatever and saying eat until you're full i'm making them a plate of food and serving it to them so the idea there is like yeah you got to eat all this and maybe you know unfortunately i wish i hadn't done this but give them some reward of like a, a sweet thing at the end of dinner if you finish your plate now we and i'm sure it was like this to some degree when i was a kid and it was certainly like this when my kids were kids but food is so cheap now that in America, in Europe, and and you know we're having this interview like right on the precipice of when there could be a food shortage because of like global catastrophic uh, wars and stuff. Like so, who knows? Maybe a year from now this will be completely irrelevant because there will be people starving again, right? Like that's possible too, I guess. But as of today, food is basically so inexpensive that you go out to eat and the portions are like astronomically big and so packed with fat and sugar that it's like hard for anybody to process that. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. I, like, and, and I think that's, that's the, where we're at now is that I think it's, it's, it's healthy to finish your food. The portion size is the, the problem. Because right. with the conditioning, you're finishing gigantic portions. Yeah, but. and if we keep this like don't waste food, like I do think a lot of, there is a lot of food waste in Western culture, but if we keep this as our, our mantra, don't waste food, and we have so much 
abundance of food that's not being shipped to people who are actually starving, right? Which maybe it should be, and maybe the people who are blocking it from getting to them should be dealt with. Who knows? But like, um, we're going to be poisoning ourselves with food, you know, if, if we keep thinking this way, like don't waste food. Okay, well, let's do something with our excess food, right? Because we have a lot of it. Do you remember specifically as a, as a child, like what, what snacks, like a list? This is mainly for the edit, but like what that would look like. Um... Well, I, I remember going to friends' houses and, and I would be in awe that friends of mine would have like, you know, sugar cereal or soda or anything like that because we weren't allowed to have that in my house. Snacks were, you know largely just what my mom got at the health food store so she would get a brand of you know that was the other thing that was not really taken into consideration by her if you buy a box of cookies from the health food store and they have just as many calories as a box of you know brand name uh cookies but they're made with like better sugar and this like if the caloric value is the same, you're still going to be overeating if you eat too many cookies, right? It doesn't really matter if the food is quote unquote healthy. So I think that was the, the main problem I had. It's like in my house, we had mostly like quote unquote healthy food, but because it was restricted to me, I would then go and binge eat it out of sight. Um, and, and you know, uh, all the normal stuff kids ate crackers cookies uh, chicken nuggets all of that stuff it was just kind of disguised with this idea of being healthy yeah i think that i think it's better now but i remember when oh, it's, it's, it, we're just talking about veganism like you can have a vegan burger with more calories in it than the lean steak burger or whatever you know lean beef burger um, there's this crazy thing now too like keto is super popular and and um you can go to the to the grocery store and, and there's a brand of ice cream I really like and they have a, a keto version and a low calorie version. And the keto version has as many calories as a regular pint of ice cream. And I, I, I don't understand why anybody would eat this and think that they were doing themselves a service. You know, it's not to the benefit of a restrictive diet. Yeah, a lot of brandings go, like a lot of marketing, a lot of branding. It is, it doesn't make sense. It, it, well. You know, each to their own again. But sure. Yeah, of course. But I imagine that if you're, if you're making this determination, like I'm eating in a way in order to lose weight, and you're not losing weight, chances are that, you know, just this moniker of keto or vegan doesn't necessarily mean you're going to lose weight, right? Like that isn't a diet that is designed necessarily for weight loss in the way that it's practiced in the mainstream. Yeah, I, I've been an obese vegan, <laughs> an obese meat eater as well. Like it didn't make much of a difference to me. Yeah. Um, so do you remember when you was a child, what the, I know you said like uh, you were eating those healthy foods and then you would cheat on, on them. Was, for me, I remember finding I was always a bit bigger and that always made me a little bit sad. So then I'd eat, that was my cycle. But like, do you, do you remember what your hook was? Like, my hook was, yeah, I mean, there was for sure comfort in food and there, and there, and it got to be the point where there was a comfort in the, the discomfort of overeating. So the minute that I would, um, 
be so full I couldn't eat anymore, so full I had to lay down and like rest, that was when I felt satiated, right? So I, I kind of like trampled all, on all my physical cues of what an appetite is. And, and, and I still have trouble with that. I still have to take a plate of food that's portioned appropriately and go, I want to, I want to know what it feels like in my body once I've eaten this. And I want to be aware of that, right? Because, I, because I'm really not, because for so many years, I ate until I couldn't eat anymore. And that's what I thought, like, okay, now I'm done. Like another bite and I'm going to throw up. You know, there's a great um, Monty Python sketch where the guy goes to the buffet and he's eating and he's eating, he's getting fatter and fatter and and he eats everything. And then the, the waiter comes out and says, do you want a mint? And he says, no, no, I'm I'm done. And he says, okay, I'll have a mint. And he eats the mint and explodes, right? Like that was what, for me, that, that spoke to me simply because that was the, the point where I associated with being done eating, right? When I was so full, I literally couldn't eat anymore. That's exactly the same as I was. Like it was my stomach lining that was the restriction, nothing else. Yeah, like it. there was nothing else going in. Um, so early days in terms of your getting into your career was that did that happen early on like it being in LA as a as a as a child was you getting into child acting like is that a process I got into acting at 17 um so not I mean I guess I was still legally a child but I wasn't a, a, a little kid um and I remember this was like a shift because I was overweight when I started acting I, I mean I'm sure I was clinically obese but the moment that I had money and autonomy and the ability to like determine what I was eating, I, I started putting on weight really rapidly. So I got much bigger when I started working because it wasn't really a hindrance to work for me. Um, I was expected to be the big guy like that. Um, and I, I now had total control over it. And, and not to mention like in, the entertainment industry there is a lot of food available right like there's always a craft service table which is covered in food they serve you you know three or sometimes four meals a day um when you're doing a television show or a movie and so you know i understand if you're one of these guys who's like moving heavy stuff all day and setting up the shot and moving cameras around and lights and stuff like that you're burning a ton of fuel but if you're just standing there and saying some words and then sitting down and waiting for them to turn it around and standing up again and saying some words you're not really burning enough fuel to justify eating in the way that's available to was available to me you know many actors don't get fat um on set and, and that's uh, probably due to them understanding their body and eating for the purposes of fueling their body. I, that was just never what I did. Do, do you uh, remember if, the, if there was a point where you wanted to lose weight, but there was the, almost being typecast as that, that bigger guy, you, couldn't, you, could, you didn't want to, or was you just in that loop of like, this is, I'm comfortable being here? No, there was... Um, there was a point I started dieting for the first time. Like I woke up and went like, I want to diet. I want to lose weight in 2002. And I know around, uh, 2012 or 13, I kind of was like, not thrilled with the amount of effort I was putting into 
dieting or maintaining my weight and the amount of work I had at the time. And so I was like, forget it. I'm just going to gain weight again. And I did. And I gained a lot of weight. And then when I gained all this weight, I was, I was, I, I like got a TV show pretty much immediately that we did for a couple of years. And so that was like a, a reward for having gained weight, but I was physically miserable and, um, felt like embarrassed in front of my kids. And so w very quickly was like, I'm not, this is not good. And, and lost weight again. Yeah. Kids for me was, was like the, the hard line for me where I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I, I don't, is that something that you'd experience yourself? Yeah. Being around kids, um, you know, it's, it's tricky too, because I don't, I didn't really want to, um, teach my kids that the only way to eat was to like withhold yourself from eating. Right. Like I, I feel very conflicted, but I am kind of stuck with the condition I'm stuck with. Right. Like I don't want to train my kids to be alcoholics, but I'm an alcoholic. So I just don't drink. Meanwhile, my wife is able to drink and doesn't have a problem with it. So the problem with food is like, you can't just give up eating. So I had to work very hard to not, and I probably failed at this, to not show my kids like the only way to properly eat is by, you know, being overly significant about what you eat. Um, but I didn't want to be obese in front of them. And I was at times. And, and now that is a big part of why I am able to maintain it because uh, they're a real... Um, factor of determination for me so we're just talking in the gym as well about a mo where you feel like was your moment where you realized that you wouldn't be able to or you didn't feel it'd be viable to have a relationship if you wasn't becoming a healthier person can we just talk about that yeah i i um i like you know uh i'd seen some girls in my youth but never had like a real girlfriend and then I started seeing this girl and 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 I was so in love with her and so happy with the relationship and really but there was a lot that I would um kind of beg off of participating in like uh, going to the beach I didn't really like to do going on a hike I didn't really like to do Anything that involved a lot of standing, I didn't really like to do. I didn't want to put myself into positions where I would be embarrassed. Um, and I kind of realized at some point, like my relationship with her, if I try to look into the future, I think for a lot of my life, I didn't look into the future. I just was existing in the day and, and bowing to my compulsions. And when I really looked into the future and tried to... Um, paint the picture of like what would be ideal for me this relationship with her wasn't going to be there if I didn't start to do something about my weight and so that was really the beginning and that is what's kept me going because I like really like my life I didn't like my life very much at all and now I do and I'm and I'm really I like it, it feels like a fairy tale life to me um and so that's like the biggest motivating factor just to, to, to keep having that, you know, but, and I think with any relationship, if you aren't working towards 
the relationship being better, that it's going to get stale and die. And so I just think of this as a part of that. One of the things you said in the gym as well is about, with this specifically, is it was like a higher a reason, a reason beyond just being in shape or, or losing weight, which I think is applicable to achieving anything. Yeah. Like it, it genuinely is, like having a, a reason or a why. Like, could you talk about, about that mentality? Yeah, I think, um, you know, and I think I've heard people talk about having a why that's really personal and, and, and individual. And, and, and I could probably make some argument that any way you consider what my why is, it is truly personal. It is what I want. It is what I see as the most valuable thing in life. But I think that, you know, if, if it's, if it's all just very superficial or not really, really personal, it's going to be hard to maintain, right? Um, anything that you're going to do if it's hard, if it's difficult, if it, if, if there's going to be a lot of resistance in doing it, if your goal isn't as substantial as the resistance that you're going to meet, it's going to be hard to persevere through that resistance. And so if you've spent any huge quantity of your time doing something in a certain way that you now have to completely change, I, I just find that without a really good reason, without a really good um, goal, that means a lot to you it's going to be hard to do that because you're you're really for long term you're really changing your life right i mean unless you put over put on you know 10 pounds one year and it's completely abnormal then it's kind of like well just go back to doing what you were doing before before you gained 10 pounds and you're going to be fine that shouldn't be so hard but if you've lived half or more than half of your life in a certain way kind of uh rewiring your brain is difficult and rewiring your habits and changing all that is difficult so you know i think that the the amount of resistance and barriers that you're going to meet should be comparable to the size of the goal and the significance of the goal and if it's real small right if the goal is real small or really meaningless to you it's going to be hard to to get through that i think um again something we spoke about earlier but something i'd written down um off your instagram was refusing to be a victim so again like just i'd love you to just go through it yeah i i do think um it's become slightly difficult today because i think there is some social currency in victimhood um but I think that that traps us because if we're getting rewarded for this state that we don't like, it's very hard for the goal of getting out of that state to be bigger than the social currency that is being given to us because we're in that state. So, you know, I can look at all manner of things that I feel have happened to me that doesn't help me change them. The only way I can change them is if I look at how I've contributed to them and what I can do about them. So, you know, I don't ever want to think of myself as a victim because I, I think at that point there's nothing I can do. And, um, and I don't ever want to be in a, a situation where I feel hopeless or helpless. I want to always figure out ways that I can 
uh, beat myself. You know, a lot of this for me is working against my myself, right? I mean, it's all in t very personally, um, what I'm doing to myself has been my biggest problem. So then if I think about it in that way, like I'm a victim to myself, well, how can I win? You know what I mean? It's all me. Um, so it gets very complex thinking about it in those terms, but I just want to always figure out what I'm responsible for, what I can do about it. Um, how do I move forward and become powerful? That's, that's really what I'm, what I'm looking at. If you're enjoying this podcast episode with Ethan Supley, please consider supporting us at mulliganbrothers.com where you can now get the journal ready for 2023 and all the t-shirts where all the profits go back into creating this content. Let's dive back into the podcast. 10 years ago, would that have been about we're, we're longer than that? 2012? 20, 20 years ago. When I, when I, before I dieted? Or yeah, at before, the before diet, yeah. Over 20 years. 20 years ago. So talking to that person now, if, if, if he watched your workouts or a person of, of, who's in a similar situation saw your workouts and see what you're doing, they'll go, well, I can't, that's too tough. Like, that's too hard work. Like, what's the, what's the payoff? What's it all worth? Yeah, well, I mean, I have two ideas here. And, and one is... I, I've, you know, being a sober person and also somebody who's um, battling this other thing, which is food, right? And my, my compulsions around food. I've found that not a lot of people change because somebody else says you should change, right? I've found for the most part, um, it has been my observation that people change when they decide to change. And, uh, you know, so... I have no desire to go around telling people, well, you should do X, Y, and Z. I have no desire at all. I don't, I'm, none of what I'm saying is prescriptive. This is all just my experience. Um, but when I've been asked, like, can you talk to my son? Uh, he's getting really, he's really obese and he's struggling. And can you talk to him? And, and I go like, well, does your son, is that a conversation your son wants to have? Or why are you reaching out? Well, I need somebody to motivate him. And I'm like, I, I, that's, I have no interest in that because I've, I've failed so many times at that. And I've watched other people who are trying to achieve something f on somebody else's behalf. And it's like, if the goal isn't even your goal, right? And you're going to meet a lot of resistance. I, I think that's doomed to failure from the start. So there's that. Um, but then the other thing is, if I talk to myself on day one of like, I want, I need change and what do I do? Help me. I would say, okay, if you see what I'm doing today, don't do that. This is not going to help you at all. Start very, very, very slowly and take your time. This is a, 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 an entire rewiring of your brain and your habits and your whole life is going to be different. I don't think that happens overnight. I think it happens very slowly, very gradually. Um, uh, at my heaviest, I was 550 pounds. And so if I went back and talked to that guy, I would say like, here's the diet that worked for me and start exercising a little bit earlier, but just walk, just go for walks. And they don't even have to be long walks. Like go walk for 10 minutes and then next week walk for 11 minutes. Like that's it. It can be that simple. And, uh, by the way, the diet that I do now, you don't even have to start doing that. Just switch out one thing, like stop drinking sugary drinks, right? Get rid of those. Drink diet soda instead of regular soda. That, that's a, that's, that was a big deal for me. 
um, eat uh, eat fruit instead of uh, you know ice cream or or cakes or something like that. Get a little bit more fiber, you know. Increase your protein. Just very simple things. It doesn't have to be so radically different. Um, if you're gonna overeat, overeat something that's not really dense in calories. You know, if like I used to go and get a bag of cheeseburgers, like a whole bag of cheeseburgers and, and eat them all. Um, okay. If you do that with celery or if you do that with chicken breasts, it's really not going to damage you. And you can still eat to the point where you're sick, right? If you're eating celery or chicken breasts, it's not going to damage you in the same way that a bag of cheeseburgers is. It's going to be totally different. Um, like that's what I would say. I would say like start slow expect it to take a long time and be a lot of work and um, just have your head in the game for the long haul. We've just, well, I've just bought a gigantic watermelon just in case I need to rip it open and just eat the whole thing. My belly will be full. Um, did you say 550 pounds? 550 pounds. I don't know what that is in stones or kilos, but it's a lot. Yeah, like well over 30, like 30, 35 stone plus probably. So. Yeah, well, oh, yeah, two, probably like two twenty, two thirty, something like that. So I mean, what's that like? Like, uh, do, you, do you remember being five hundred fifty pounds? I do. You know, at the time, that's how I was. So, so I was very self conscious, self conscious, but self conscious. Yeah, self conscious, but um, but that was my kind of baseline. So. It wasn't really until later that um, I started thinking about how much my body hurt every day. Uh, how even just sitting like this, parts of me would start aching because there was so much pressure on different parts of me and I'd have to move, right? Um, my feet hurt every day no matter what. I used to go around and, and check the strength of anything I sat down on a couch a chair um and you know if if the chair was plastic or had really thin legs i wouldn't sit on it for fear that i'm gonna break it um and then there would be times where i would sit on something questionable and worry that somebody else was gonna break their chair and people would try to blame me simply because like maybe he sat and it weakened it you know there was that traveling was a nightmare so there was always th all these things um that were just normal life to me uh, that I wasn't thinking about daily. But as I lost weight and my ability to move more freely in the world increased and my pains, literal physical pains and, and the amount of, you know, kind of crap I gave myself and, and self shame that I laid on my shoulders that as that kind of, went away i was like oh my god you know i used to have to be two hours early to you know a local domestic flight simply because like walking through the airport took a long time and and now um i still have some anxieties about these things like i want to be early and my wife is like why do we have to be so early and i'm like because you know, it takes a long time. And she's like, it really doesn't. It really doesn't take a long time for you to get from, you know, TSA or, or security to the gate. And you could probably jog and you'd be fine. Uh, and I go, oh yeah, okay, you're right. 
so we don't have to be so early. Like I have to think through it in those terms because it's just so hardwired into me that like I am slow. I can't do anything fast. So I need to allow myself extra time, but I really don't anymore. Um, so that's a big thing that is confusing. Uh, getting on an airplane, you know, the amount of um, mortification I used to go into, like even if I flew first class, my stomach would hang over onto the other person's armrest, you know, into that little table in between you guys, the two seats. And, uh, and that was mortifying. And I, I always had to have seatbelt extensions and I never really fit into a, an airplane seat. And now I can fly coach and I almost do that simply because I fit in the seat and I'm like, I don't have to fly first class. I can fly coach. And like, I have a, I still have a large body, but it's more normal size, certainly than it was ever my entire life. I don't need a uh, seatbelt extender anymore. Like these are huge victories for me. Um, so all that kind of stuff is stuff that I just wasn't thinking about day to day because it's, this, my normal was being massive. From from five hundred fifty pounds to w the weight you are today, two seventy. Two seventy. So I think that's. I think I'm about two seventy at the moment. So how how what's the time period of that, the, the journey of that, and have you got a goal going forward as well? Here's the crazy thing. I went from five fifty to about three fifty, and was three fifty for a while, and uh, and then gained weight and was over four hundred pounds. And then lost weight and was about 220 and riding bicycles every day for eight hours a day and going over to Europe and watching the Tour de France and riding the stages with the guys and, you know, riding up Mount Fontoux and seeing where Jimmy Simpson, I think is his name, died because he, he was doing speed on the bike, going up this mountain and like paying homage to him there. He's British, so maybe the British people will, will like that. Um, then I got down to like 220, 215 even. And I was so thin and I was actually uncomfortable being that thin. So I started working with weights. Um, and then, and then I gave up at some point and was like, forget it. I want to, I want to get heavy and work again. And I went up to like 400 pounds again. And then I went down and, and, and now, and, but you know, at any of those points, Trying to maintain my weight was really, really difficult. I was always either gaining weight or losing weight. And like when I got, when I was riding bicycles a lot, I was eating almost nothing and like had all these crazy ideas. Like there was a time period where I was only allowing myself to eat while I was riding the bike and otherwise I wasn't eating food. And like that's, that's insane. And so you know, a few years ago, I, f I finally found a diet where I was like, oh, this is not hard. I could eat like this for the rest of my life. Um, nothing is off limits. Uh, but there's a lot of food that I eat very rarely. Um, and I've basically maintained my weight for years now. And I exercise a lot and I enjoy the kind of exercise I do. That's the one is is being able to maintain it. Yeah. It's so funny you say that, like, I can see all the time, like the fluctuations, I think in, in a certain uh, personality type, maybe, uh, maybe personality type's not the, the word for it, but in certain people, um, 
you, I think you always snap back to where you inevitably don't want to be. Like, I, well, if you're not, if you're not, if you're not looking at what caused you to get into the condition that you don't like, which I never really did. If you're only looking at it like all, all I need is to lose weight, right? If that's it, if that's your entire idea, just I'm overweight, I need to lose weight. Fine. I don't find losing weight to be all that difficult. It might suck, like not be pleasant for a month or a couple of months, but it's really not all that hard. But if I'm not looking at, oh, I need to change what got me overweight then I think for me, for many, many years, I was missing the point because I always would gain my weight back. Always. And, and even more so sometimes. And, and so, you know, then, then that gets compounded because failures do not, did not make me feel like jumping back into this game of losing weight, right? I, if I'm always going to fail, if I'm always going to gain the weight back, what's the point in trying to lose weight, right? And so there would be times where I would just be this defeatist about it. Um, and then a lot of self-shame, you know, like you tell your friends you're going to lose weight, you lose weight, your friends are all proud of you, and then you gain weight and kind of people are like, not saying it to you or they're saying it to you like what happened why are you gaining weight and and it's like this this vicious circle right and so for me weight loss is not the key the key is how do i not abuse my body long term how do i how do i figure out how to eat so that i can just eat like that and not gain weight right and then you'll most likely lose weight doing that you know, and if it's something you are thinking about, this is how I have to change my life forever, basically, um, then you win. One of the things that, so I, I, the one, the most successful I've had was tracking, like I, I would track everything. And then I got to the point where it was going so well, I thought the last hurdle for me is to be able to stop tracking and just be able to eat, like eat normal. And I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. So I'm back to tracking now. Have you, is, do you live by a certain, thing that you're comfortable doing or, or you, have you got to a point where you can just intuitively eat with it intuitive eating is is tough for me but i i did track for a long time and so what i basically understand is the values of things right and so the thing that for me fluctuates the most is the amount of carbohydrates i i take in and the amount of ancillary fats so I have like a baseline of protein, which I can get, um, I eat meat. And, and so I get it through lean, very, very lean beef or chicken breasts or fish, pretty much any fish, uh, or turkey or lamb or any of this stuff, but it's gotta be lean. And as long as it's lean, I basically know how much of that I need to eat every day. And that's the bulk of my food. And then I'm not such a fan of vegetables that I'm going to overeat vegetables. So vegetables for me are free. I know I got to eat some every day, but I'm not at risk of eating so many that it's going to throw off my, my calories. Right. So yes, I take them almost like supplementary, like, ugh, I got to eat some broccoli. Okay. But it's not really fun. I'm not making broccoli fondue or deep frying it or anything like that. And then, so really the only thing I'm, diligently tracking is 
did I train really hard? Okay, if I trained really hard, that's a carbohydrate day. So I get some rice or some pasta with nothing on it or some bread with nothing on it or some potatoes or some sweet potatoes or beets or carrots. Those are my, or fruit, right? Those are my carbohydrate sources. That's on a training day. On a non-training day, my carbohydrates go down and my fats come up. So I get a little olive oil or an avocado on my non-training days. That's like the gist of how I eat now. So I'm not going like, how many calories did I get on this meal and that meal? It's really just the difference between I get rice today or I get avocado today. And that just depends on my activity level that day. How do you maintain an awareness with uh not trying, not fall into bad habits again. And, and when they, when they come up, how'd you catch them? Well, I, I've gone through my life many times and I mean like, uh, mentally looked at different things. And so like, uh, a big bad habit for me was eating in front of the TV, sitting down, not doing anything, eating, kind of zoning out, not paying attention to what I was eating. And I found that I could eat much more if I was watching TV or a movie or something like that, then if I was sitting and just being aware of my food or sitting and having a conversation with somebody and eating with another person or with my family. And so I've gotten rid of that. That's like something where I went like, oh, I just shouldn't do that anymore because I'll eat my food quick and then want more food if I'm eating while I'm watching TV. So I'm, I'm almost never eating like that. Um, that's been a big one. Uh, the other thing is if I ever feel like I need to eat and I don't want somebody to see me eating this thing, like that's a big red flag for me. Um, I don't want to hide food. I don't want to ever be doing something that I wouldn't want my wife and kids to see me doing. You know what I mean? Um, I still don't always feel super comfortable eating in front of strangers, right? So like sometimes I'll go to the airport and I pack my own food and I feel a bit embarrassed pulling out my Tupperware or whatever I've packed and eating it sitting there in the, in the terminal. You know, that I'm not really comfortable doing that, but it's not quite the same as the, the need to hide it from people who are aware of what I'm doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, what, what, do, you th what do you find important about um, being healthy and having a healthy body? Like what? what What's, what's the argument for it to somebody who, who might be overweight? You know, I, I don't really have an argument for somebody else being healthy. I, you know, I could say like, uh, I think that it's, that, that my life is better with a healthier body. But like, people do a lot of stuff that I don't do. People smoke cigarettes. I'm often very jealous watching people smoke cigarettes. Like, I used to smoke cigarettes. I really enjoyed smoking cigarettes. If you're cool with smoking cigarettes, now, I don't really like the way they smell anymore, but it really looks like when somebody's having a cigarette, and how about a cigarette and a beer? Like, I can't do either of those things um, because they're not good for me, but I, that doesn't mean I think other people shouldn't. So I don't really have an argument on why other people should be healthy. I just know that for me... I have a vested interest in hanging out with my grandkids. I have a vested interest in doing active things with my kids, in taking them to places that 
uh, are uncomfortable to get to, even in a healthy body, you know what I mean? Having adventures, these are the things that I find to be really stimulating and fun, and I want to be able to do them for a long time. So I would just say to somebody who is unhealthy, if you are in an unhealthy situation that you could take control over, right? Because some people are in unhealthy situations that they have no say over at all. Um, but if, if you have the power to change your health and you're interested in having a, a long, fruitful life, then it's possible to do that, right? So there's all these contexts and, and perspectives attached to what I'm saying. And I don't, I don't think, you know, like, dude, I, when we were kids, or I'm older than you, but when, when I was a kid, you couldn't be a professional video game player. You couldn't do it. That didn't exist. Now they're making millions of dollars playing video games. And if that dude wants to get fat and eat cheeseburgers and pizza and smoke cigarettes, like, I don't care. I really don't care. That's, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think at the same time that society has to alter itself to accommodate people who are outliers. So I was very uncomfortable flying when I was really obese, but I didn't ever think like airplanes should make larger seats and larger seatbelts. That was not, that was not something I felt had to happen. So you know what I mean? But I think like one day if we wake up and everybody's obese, they're going to have to, right? So that's, that's kind of how I think about all of this. Just the last couple, uh, move forward and be powerful. Like that was something you said. Is that, I mean, I'd just love to hear more on that. It's quite a, for our motivational audience. I mean, that's something yeah. that definitely would resonate with them. There was a huge portion of my life where I didn't feel either confident or capable of being in control of, of really anything. And so I think the things that I was in control over was using drugs and eating food and that I controlled and I, and I could do it a lot. And, and it was this kind of sick inverted sense of power. And when I thought about kind of exterior goals that I had for myself and, and ways of applying myself, I felt very small and, and useless. And so it took a long time to shift my perspective on this, but really like if i have a thought and the thought is that's really hard i i would shut down before and now i'm way more apt to say no no you had the thought you th then thought it was going to be really hard go do that go try it fail uh and, you know samuel beckett had has my favorite quote ever tried ever failed no matter try again fail again fail better so just this idea like it's okay to not be great at something. And, and the other thing I, I, I have had to convince myself of is that like, I don't always know what's right. I think I failed at many diets or never did them because I always knew how to lose weight, but I didn't, right? And so I've become very interested in learning and I go into most situations not with the idea that I already understand how something works, but with the idea that I need to learn more about how something works or learn anything at all about how something works. I want to go into situations with this idea that I know nothing and, um, and then build a foundation of knowledge and become certain and become powerful and, and strong in that way. And 
and I'm I'm never gonna I'm never going to um, dismiss things because I think I understand all of them because I don't because I didn't get sober for a long time because I knew better than the people who had gotten sober. And so I would attach my own little ideas to them of like, no, it's gonna work better if I do X, Y, and Z. And I found that sometimes I need to like, just tell myself to shut up and uh, be a pupil and learn something and and move forward and get powerful. Just on the, on getting sober is like, what what was that like i mean our, our family um on my dad's side or uh most of them have died through al- alcoholism like this just it's just like the in scotland they're from glasgow like it's just kind of like it's cultural it's I, cultural. No, yeah. I, I was uh when i was on my name is earl i was in ireland and uh and i was sober at the time and walking down the street in Dublin, I had a lot of people recognize me and say, ah, come for a drink. And I'd say, I don't drink. And they'd say, okay, just a pint. And I'd go like, that's still a drink. You know what I mean? Like this idea, like a pint's not a drink, that's breakfast or whatever. Um, you know, that I think there's cultural things there, but, but I, you know, for me, um, similar to the food, I needed to use the stuff until I couldn't use it anymore, whether it was alcohol or drugs. I needed to get to the point where I was blacked out or about to OD in order to feel sated from these things. And it was just, a, I just had a, an unhealthy relationship with them. Um, was there another, like a low moment or moment where you was like, that's it, I'm done with alcohol and drugs? Yeah. and. Uh, I was told I was going to die. I was told I was going to die. And I was also told that I probably would die even if I got sober. And I just, you know, at that point I had this thought of like, well, if I'm going to die either way. There was a little bit of me that was convinced I was going to die for a while leading up to it, but I wasn't told by a doctor. And when I was told by a doctor that I was going to, I had congestive heart failure and there were all these ailments um, that I had. And the doctor was like, oh, you are like, almost dead and you are going to die and and there's really no reversing this I thought like maybe it would be nice for my parents to bury a sober person like that was really my idea um and then I got sober and got and got and and my health improved so much that I kind of was like clinging to life for a while but not it took that to get me to be able to confront my weight too you know this um clarity of like I don't have to damage myself in all these ways. I, I don't have to um, overdo everything. What was that day like? What led you to go to the doctors to have that assessment? I had, um, I was doing heroin and, I, and cocaine and I had this thing which would happen, which would, my feet would start swelling and then my legs would swell and the swelling would move up my body. And, and I went through a couple of months with this where I would then, uh, quit doing drugs and get very sick for a few days and the swelling would go away and then I'd start doing drugs again. And then it came where I quit doing drugs for a few days and the swelling didn't go away and it was go- ever every day it was higher and higher and it was up into my abdomen. And I went to the doctor like, what is this swelling? And she said, oh, that's congestive heart failure. When that swelling gets to your heart, you die. And, and that was really like 
oh, I didn't, I didn't know any of that. You know, I, I wasn't thinking this was I, anyway. Uh, that I remember that day very clearly. Okay, I mean, thanks for sharing. Like, I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, wow. So then you went into the. Then you had a, a, per, a time period where you went into. I went to rehab. Yeah. Okay. I got sober. I. Um, you know. What was your why at that point? Like, what was not to die? Was it the, you for your parents? Like you say. Yeah, not to die, and 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 not to die. Like the. the it seemed very pathetic to me um, to die in that way, uh, you know. And, and another thing is, like, as a kid, there was some romanticism about drugs and alcohol and stuff. And I would, like, you know, read Burroughs Junkie or The Basketball Diaries or, you know, Charles Bukowski. And he had, there was such a, a romanticism about being a barfly and a scumbag in Hollywood. And it just seemed like... This is cool, you know, this is edgy. And then really you you meet other drug addicts and you're like, God, these these people who are doing this are are total nerds and and you know, I don't mean nerds like revenge of the nerds, just like not people I want to associate with at all or, or be associated with. You know what I mean? There's nothing cool about them. I know some rock stars have died, um and rock stars are kind of as close to objectively cool as you can get i suppose but i just think it's um it's all just for me a way to not um confront reality and not be present and that to me seems so weak and I, I don't know it felt very pathetic and so i was like kind of turned off from the whole thing while at the same time not being able to experience happiness without it, you know? So there was a long period where, especially with opiates, my experience was that you, life really sucks without them after your body is accustomed to getting them. Like it just, I didn't really enjoy anything for a couple of years and, and life was pretty bleak. And then you get all that back and life is wonderful again, you know? But it is, it is very, very hard. And it doesn't surprise me at all that people fail that as often as they do. Yeah, I would love to tell you too that this is my absolute favorite material possession. Like, you could take my car or rob me I, I, and I'll probably just say, go ahead and take it. I wouldn't give up this ring. And uh, my wife, I don't know if you'd be able to get this on camera, but my wife had it inscribed, eat shit. And it is truly my favorite possession. Brilliant. Okay, so we actually have that on camera now. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I think maybe, we, I, th I think I've seen the, the post that you did with yeah. eat shit on it. Yeah, I think I've seen it. It is, I, I don't know, I don't know what exactly she meant by it, but I love it so much and it really like, somehow is the perfect like the only you know you're not gonna say that to somebody and think like this is a sweet thing to say and yet my wife had it inscribed on my wedding ring and it is the sweetest nicest most wonderful thing i've owned okay cool right so that that's fantastic that links up with the story okay perfect yeah thank you so much for sharing that with us i think just for just for the edit um i just need to ask one more question and then i'll, and I'll wrap it and the, the it is like what would a 
a, a typical training day look like? The stuff that we've done today. Uh, what would a, a se- what does a session feel like as well when you're doing it? So, I, well, I'll say two things. I I, uh, I called my wife from the car and I said, God, I got to get people to follow me around. Uh, with cameras in the gym because I was not taking like breaks at all. I was going so fast. Like normally I think I'd recover a little bit more. Like we left there today a full hour earlier than I normally leave there simply because like in between, I'm like, I don't want these guys to just sit here for six minutes while I recover. I got to do another set. You know what I mean? Um, so that was very cool. But I, I, I did all my work much faster today than normal. Uh, uh, kickboxing is really just two days a week. A normal day is like I do, you know, and it, and it, it changes based on if I'm traveling and I miss a day, then I got, then I'm back a day, but it, but it's basically like chest, legs, back, chest, legs, back. Um, so it's six days like that. And, uh, if I'm not going to that gym to do kickboxing, uh, I'll just go to a, a regular gym and do my my weight training and cardio. Yeah, go for it. We're talking about uh, being told you're gonna die. Yeah. Uh, like, what do you think the the sort of um, how do you look about that now? Like where you are in life? Like it's kind of oh, with perspective, yeah. Perspective. It's kind of crazy. It, it, yeah. So when I look back at that at that moment, but you know, really. That was just an external person telling me what I had assumed. I, for many, for a long time, I would go to bed every night thinking I'm probably going to die. I mean, I was so heavy. I couldn't sleep laying down. I had to be sitting up because I couldn't breathe um, laying down. Uh, And I just went to bed a lot thinking I'll probably die in my sleep. And And I didn't even really care that much. But as soon as somebody else, as soon as a doctor said, you're dying, um, it was kind of this shock. Uh, and, and God, man, I had so much less to live for then than I do now. So it would be horrifying to get that news today. Um, but I've also had a really fun life and, and done a lot of stuff I never thought I'd do. I have a granddaughter. I have four daughters and a granddaughter. Like I never thought that was possible. Um, I have a wife. Um, you know, I'm very happy now. I've never been so happy with my body and there's still stuff I want to improve with my body, but, uh, yeah, it's a very sad thing to remember. Not, I mean, that's, Going to sleep thinking you might not wake up, that is just encapsulates it. Like that is so, yeah. such a horrendous thought. And that was kind of normal for a long period. Like when you say, like what kind of time period was that? Maybe a year. Really? Yeah. What, I mean, that must have had some real, like strong mental like, effects on your mental health. Yeah, but I didn't, I just, I didn't really care about a whole lot. I was, I, I numbed myself up with drugs and food and I was 550 pounds and doing a lot of drugs. And, and like, I knew, you know, um, Chris Farley died, uh, in that time period. And, uh, he wasn't even as big as I was. So, you know, um, I just figured I was going to most likely die in that way.
th thank you so much for today. Like I, I cannot express our gratitude enough. Um, right. It really is appreciated. Um, where's the best place that people can find like resources of, for yourself and like, and what kind of projects are you working on at the moment? Um, I'm, I'm not super active on Twitter, but maybe if Elon Musk gets rid of all the bots, I'll be back on Twitter. So I would be Ethan Suplee there or Ethan Suplee on Instagram. And I believe the producers of my podcast, American Glutton, have a YouTube channel set up and there's a Patreon and we have a Discord. And yeah, those are the spots. Thank you so much for today. Um, yeah, everything is linked down below if people need it. And uh, yeah. Just so much gratitude. Thank you. And there we have it from Ethan Suplee, a massive inspiration to me and to many. The YouTube video is now over 1.6 million views. So if you wanted to see the mini documentary, head over to the Mulligan Brothers main channel and give that a watch. For me, I think the reason that so many people have gained so much from Ethan's story is, in a lot of ways, it is relatable. You know, we all understand what it is to struggle with something and many of us know what it's like to struggle with weight and for me personally I was up to 360 pounds at one point after the loss of my son I struggled massively with depression overeating binge eating eating disorders and it took me a long time to drop those 100 pounds you know it was a very difficult time period so to see somebody like Ethan who was battling alcoholism, drug addiction, and had to lose the weight, it just shows you what is truly possible. You know, what is actually possible when you are given an ultimatum. And I think that's the point. And I hope it doesn't take this for everybody to have that moment and change their lives. I hope we can use Ethan's story to, to see that and have that clarity but it was that rock bottom moment for him that really changed his life. It was a similar moment for myself where I was doing a seven day fast because I'd been binge eating all week. And on the seventh day, I passed out. I smashed my head on the, on the kitchen table. And at the time, I was probably about 320, 330 pounds. And my baby son was, when I came to and I woke up, my baby son was right next to me as I looked at the underside of the table and I thought if I was just a foot over, I would have fell on my son and who knows what would have happened. And that was my rock bottom moment. And I, I hope that these videos and these messages from people like Ethan allow you to skip that, allow you to skip having those rock bottom moments. It might feel hard right now. It might feel like you're in a tough position right now, but don't allow yourself to get to the rock bottom moment. Treat this as it. Treat this as your, your warning. Treat this as your, your moment where you go, you know what, I don't need to do this anymore. I don't need to feed myself to feel better emotionally. I don't need to be bigger because it makes me feel more comfortable in the moments of eating. And you know, for me, it was very much a flick of a switch that moment, it was not difficult after that. Don't get me wrong, I struggle now, but I'm 100 pounds lighter. You know, that's a lot healthier than where I was at. But to lose that 100 pounds, it very much was an on and off switch. Once I'd realized what I had been doing and realized how detrimental and impactful it was to the people around me, then I made the change. So use this, guys. Use this as your change. Um, use Ethan's story as your change. 
Today's video was made possible with all the support that you guys give us at mulliganbrothers.com, where you can now get the Not A Journal uh, ready for 2023, which is a journal that I created a few years back. I'd been using it for about seven years, and it's a no bullshit approach to journaling. You know, I was get these journals that are out now are so overcomplicated. So we created this Not A Journal which is a take, an ironic take on journaling, but it's basically about getting stuff done every single day. There's a task list, there's a note section, and there's a goals section. It's very simple, it's how it should be. Um, but I wanted to say, all the support that, that goes on at mulliganbrothers.com quite literally makes this happen. All that money goes back into creating this content. That's a promise of ours that we have, we have maintained since we started the merchandise, since we started the YouTube channels, Everything goes back into creating this content. To allow our team to go out to Miami and film with Ethan meant that it cost a lot of money. And it was only with your guys' support that we managed to go and do that. And to continue to do that um, is through your guys' support. And we cannot thank you enough. Honestly, the movement of Inspire Change is the passion that runs through everybody at Mulligan Brothers. It runs through all my brothers, all my sisters, my staff, this is what we want to do for the rest of our lives. This is what we feel that our purpose is. And I cannot express my gratitude that you support us in doing that, but also that we're able to do that. I know how lucky we are that we get to do this and live this fulfilled life of being able to deliver these inspirational films and inspirational messages around the world. So thank you. Um, I've rambled on a lot. Thank you very much. Go follow me on Instagram at Jordan Mulligan Brother. Tune in for the next episode. And remember, the most important thing of all, go inspire some change. Whether it's through sharing this podcast, sharing a message, maybe you share some of Ethan's message. But I would say the most important way to inspire change is through your actions and through how you live. It's about what you do because people are always watching. People always notice what you're doing. Whether you think they're watching or not, your actions speak much louder than words. And it is those people who inspire people the same way Ethan did it. Um, yeah, go inspire some change, guys. I'll see you in the next one. Peace.